Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly, their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart, to boldly complain as no one's complained before. This is Aaron. And this is Paul. And welcome back to Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. We have uh, we we have not recorded an episode of Star Trek with Aaron and Polly since July 2022. So it has been a bit of a hiatus. It has. And, you know, the introduction that you started with, I was like, wait, what's happening? (laughs) (laughs) Why why is this so calm? Yeah. Because I'm more used to funny books, Aaron, than than calm collected. Calm collected, Aaron. Star Trek with Aaron and Paul, Aaron. Well, you know, the reason why I'm so calm and collected, Paul, is that I have I've really sort of gotten back in touch with uh, the wormhole aliens or the Bajoran prophets. Oh, so, don't get me started, Aaron. I, I have. I, I've gotten. I've, I've. I've gotten back. You know. I, I've. I've touched back into the faith of of the prophets, and I've had an orb experience. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's all because I, in the time we have been uh, absent from the RSS feed, uh, I have come done a complete rewatch of Deep Space Nine. Oh wow! Yeah. Really? Yeah, complete rewatch of Deep Space Nine. And I'd like to say. Something happened to me in that experience. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, 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 and you know, I found a character that I really identified with. That you know, that that, that character was having a moment, and I was like, "Oh my god, I have had that exact same moment." And uh, the character I'm talking about is Vedic Wynn. You know, the uh, the 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 religious political figure. Uh, in uh, Bajoran politics, that you know is at odds with you know Captain Cisco for mm-hmm. much of the series, and you know who is, you know, just always seems to be you know at odds with him, you know, against him most times, and resentful of the fa- of his relationship with the prophets, you know, he, Captain Cisco being the emissary, and there is a moment towards the end of season seven, you know, the the final season of uh, Deep Space Nine where she is enjoying a sexual relationship with a person that she believes is a Bajoran farmer, right? You know, a man of the soil, uh, you know, that, that is prophesied to you know, come and assist her. And, uh, you know, she's enjoying this, this very, you know, uh, carnal sort of relationship until at, at some point during, uh, she realizes that this is not the person she thought he was. He is actually, you know, despicable, you know, war criminal, gold Dukat in uh, a Bajoran disguise. And I was like, uh-huh. I have lived that moment. Not that, you know, I woke up one day and was having sex with gold Dukat, but, you know, I, I, I have had <laughs> I mean, that. Who hasn't had that experience? <laughs> but I've had that moment where I was like, oh, I really don't like the person that I'm sleeping with. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like you know, back in my back in my single days, you know, I I, I had that like, oh, I don't like you at all. <laughs> I was like, man, Vedic Win, I see you. <laughs> Look at yeah. that! Yeah. How the times have have evolved. How, how your viewing of Deep Space Nine has evolved over the years. That's right. I mean, I can't completely despise Vedic Win anymore. You know, no. because I, I I have I have I have walked in her shoes. <laughs> So, so with your rewatch of all seven seasons of Deep Space Nine, besides that, have you found um, a greater appreciation, a lesser appreciation, a or you know still? I would, still I would the- say the status remains quo. Okay. Uh, I I have always loved Deep Space Nine. Uh, well, I can't say always because I thought the first season was awfully weak, but you know it really picks up a whole lot of steam. Uh, 
in season two. Uh, and you know, there are some, there are some good episodes in season one, but, uh, season two, it really starts picking up. And, you know, by the time Worf shows up in season four, I mean, it is just rocking along. I just, I love, I love the deep bench of characters in that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that you've got, I mean, there is so much happening in the supporting cast. Uh, I just, I just love that show. It, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, Guldicott, Wayun, uh, you know, the, I, I love the relationship between, uh, Quark and Odo. And I remember when I first started watching the show going to Ferengi on this show because the Ferengis mm-hmm. were never done well in Next Generation, you know? And, and so I was like, oh, this is going to be awful. But, you know, Armin Shimmerman is, is awesome in this, show, in this show. Um, I, yeah, I, the only thing, the, my only complaint about Deep Space Nine, um, is, I don't care for the ending with Gold Ducat and Benjamin Sisko. Uh, I, I mm-hmm. would have preferred a different sort of ending there because it's just, it's far too much Lord of the Rings and it yeah. doesn't really work in that last, what, 20 minutes of, of the episode. Uh, I just, I just don't care for it. But everything else about the Dominion War, you know, continues to, to rock. Uh, and I think it's just even more resonant now than it was then. You know, there's so much going on in Deep Space Nine around, you know, kind of taking a look at terrorism from another angle. You know, you know, because you know, one man's terrorist is another person's, you know, freedom fighter. Um, you know, there's, I, I think that that. The argument is genuinely made sometimes that, you know, sure, the British probably saw, you know, the American revolutionaries as terrorists, you know, um, and I, I think that that's an that's a really interesting look uh, in the story. And, you know, all of this is before 9-11, you know, I mean, these these stories seem uh, prescient. You know, when you when you think about you know what happened on September 11th and how all of that came home, uh, I just I, the and and we've never up until Deep Space Nine seen a, a war story. You know, we've seen episodes that threatened war, and we'd heard talk in Star Trek about you know that war that happened a hundred years ago, but you know we never saw you know a full on guns out. Uh, you know, long-term war until the Dominion War, which lasted several seasons. I just, I, I think it's just beautifully told, and it's not, you know, just you know, guns and guns and glory. I mean, you've got you. They tell stories about the real impact of war. You know, uh, the episode where Nog is injured and loses his leg, and then the the even more important episode where it talks about his trauma. You know, I, I just I, I, I love so much how deep the writers went uh, in those stories. And it brings me to something because, you know, it really didn't change my opinion of Deep Space Nine. It just really <laughs> it really tells me how much I want to see it remastered because it looks like crap, <laughs> you know, on a on I'm shocked that it still hasn't happened. Yeah, same, same. But I mean, you, you know, you're you're watching it on your on your high definition television set, and uh, you know, boy, it it really could use some work. Uh, but the thing that that it brought me to is the problem with a lot of our modern Star Trek. You know, the Star Trek that we used to call modern Star Trek, the Berman Trek back in the nineties. But you know, modern Trek today, you know, the Kurtzman Trek out. basically. Yeah, uh, I think the problem with it is that the writers haven't been trained how to write Star Trek. Um, I, I, I feel strongly that the reason why Deep Space Nine works as well as it does is many of those writers came from Star Trek, The Next Generation. Uh, you had a guy like Ira Stephen Bear who came in uh, uh, to work with Michael Piller on producing the show and then became the showrunner, and he had experience on The Next Generation. And they all learned how to write Star Trek under uh, the rules set by Gene Roddenberry and then learned, okay, now we know those rules. Here's how we break them, right? Um, and, you know, they, they learned how to tell – episodic stories they learned how to tell anthology stories and they learned how to use metaphor and that's the thing that i think our current star trek shows are really lacking in um is that instead of (laughs) of 
writing a story about a, a, a race war and, you know, one guy's black and white on one side of his face and the other guy has got, you know, his black on the other side of his face. They're, they both look otherwise identical, but that's their race distinction and that's why they hate each other because they're different. You know, that's an original series, you know, set up for a show and, uh, you know, instead, it, it'll just be be you know very much someone shouting out. Uh, you know, there's no metaphor there. There's no subtlety. There's no you know uh, making it making it timeless through metaphor. It's all very in the right now kind of aspect. And I, I feel like that's that's an art that's missing from uh, certainly discovery. I mean, all all discovery can do is just beat you over the head with trauma uh, because that's all they want to talk about instead of, you know, putting that in metaphor and putting it in, in a larger, you know, uh, context, making it more timeless. It's all about right now. You know, all the issues they're talking about are right now. And it just I, I find that frustrating uh, in, in the new stuff. But, you know, Deep Space Nine really had that going. And, you know, they had a they had a writer's room that knew what the hell they were doing. And I feel like that's absent from uh, a lot of, of what we're seeing in, in particular in Discovery. I think Strange New uh, Strange New Worlds does a better job of it. Yeah, but, it's still not perfect, but it's yeah. it's better. And I mean, yeah. Lower Decks, it's it's funny. That I think Lower, lower Decks, Decks is still is, the cream of the crop as, mo- yeah. as far as modern Trek goes. I agreed. I think Lower Decks is, is the best written of all of them. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say that because I like Strange New Worlds so much. But, you know, there there were a couple of episodes in Strange New Worlds. Where I was like, oh, come on, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just come on, <laughs> you know. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Deep Space Nine holds up. I have now, you know, during the pandemic, I have rewatched all of Next Gen, uh, all of Enterprise, all of Voyager, and uh, now all of Deep Space Nine. So, Damn. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So thank you, public health emergency, <laughs> for affording me the time to rewatch all that Star Trek. Well, maybe what you need to do next, Aaron, is rewatch the first two seasons of Picard in preparation for the third season Ooh. of Picard. You're like, I have a line. I have yeah. a line. Yeah, Paul. that's right. This far, no further. No further. <laughs> <laughs> the line must be drawn here. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about Picard a little later on in the show, and we'll talk about a continuation of Deep Space Nine that recently came out later in the show as well. Yeah. But before we get to either of those things, we are going to start drinking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's important to note, you know, as we record, it is 8.19 a.m. On, on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and I'm well, about to crack fair, open a bottle of whiskey. Evening recordings, it just didn't work out. That's true. That's true. That's true. But, you know, we're dedicated to the show. And the yes. show demands that we try the Romulan Ale Rye Whiskey. That's what this is, right? Yes, Romulan Ale Rye Whiskey. Um, or, so this or, is from or it's Star called Trek's the Spirits. Romulan Rye, is what they yeah. call it. Yeah, because there is also it. a Romulan Ale Vodka, right. I believe. Um, <laughs> no one's ordering that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Aaron and I both ordered this Romulan Rye. Um, mine says limited edition bottle, sixty-seven ninety on the oh, back. Oh, mine is uh, sixty-six forty-eight. Okay, so they they are numbered edition uh, uh-huh. bottles. Uh, you can get them at StarTrekSpirits.com. It is yep. it is a a rye whiskey um, that is I guess dyed blue. Oh no, I it it I don't know if it actually says what made it blue. I'm assuming it's dye of some kind. I, I assume so as well. I'm sure it's food coloring. Yeah, I'm assuming it's food coloring. Yeah. It's yeah, like this that. is not a color that occurs in nature. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> you know, it's not squid ink or anything. No, it's, no. no. So Aaron, no. tell us a little bit about this. Well, you know, the uh, honestly, the selling point is the bottle, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the whole reason. It's, I, seriously. I, well, two reasons. I bought this because uh, the bottle looks very much like something that um, uh, Dr. McCoy pours for uh, Captain Kirk at one point in the original series. And, you know, it's just really got this beautiful ri- ridged, uh, <laughs> fluted sort of, of, uh, uh, neck to the bottle with, you know, a nice Romulan bit of script on the bottle to, you know, indicate it, w- that it doesn't originate from the Federation. Um, it has got a clear top stopper, you know, cap on it. I mean, I, I very much see me holding onto the bottle when I finish this, this off and I, I will, uh, you know, probably fill it with, with water and, uh, blue, 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 bl
bar. But, you know, the other reason I got it is, you know, it's uh, it's a whiskey. And, you know, I, I maintain that there are very few whiskeys uh, that I don't enjoy to some degree. And so I've been very curious about this. And I, I this has been in my house since before Christmas. Uh, I want to say Thanksgiving-ish, maybe. Yeah, I think it was around uh, and, that time frame. And it just kind of got shuffled to the back of my bar because I knew I, I wanted to, you know, make an event of it. I wanted to share it with a friend or do it on a podcast or something. But, uh, you know, when Paul and I talked about, you know, we we want to, you know, dust off the Star Trek podcast again and uh, get ready for Picard. I'm like, hey, let's drink some of that Romulan rye because we both bought it. So, Paul. Yes, sir. I haven't even broken the seal on mine. Oh, I broke the and seal right before we recorded. Yeah, so well, I've got my uh, my pocket knife here, so I'm going to uh, break the seal real quick. Okay. And now, while Aaron does is breaking the seal, uh, I want to clarify that the cork on this, interestingly enough, it's a glass cork, so I don't think it's going to pop like a regular cork. Uh huh. Let me see. I don't know. It's damn. It's in there. Oh, okay. <laughs> there it went. I don't know if you heard it. <laughs> I did. I heard that. It's very nice and uh, cork sounding. All right. So All right. let me. There we oh, go. Oh wow. Okay. Nice. Yeah. That's that's that is three beers and a scotch worthy. That is right. That is right. Let me grab my glass. What do I do with this? All right. I'm not gonna pour just a ton. <laughs> I'm just gonna fill the glass. <laughs> <laughs> It's nine o'clock my time, Aaron. That's right. Yeah, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a civilized hour in yeah. your location. So I now are you icing yours? It sounded yes. like you put ice in yours. Yeah, I have a, one of those big ice cubes. Okay. And I am uh, I am starting mine straight. Okay. Boy, it's it's got a hot nose to it. I will but tell you, not, you know, the pouring is an interesting experience with the ridge. Uh huh. Oh yeah, ridged. <laughs> um, it's got a hot nose, which is not unusual for rye. Mm-hmm. It is so strange seeing the blue in the glass. It is. You know, I bet you because so, um, you know, we I don't know. I don't know in the Venn diagram of Star Trek fans and whiskey fans other than Uh Aaron and I who falls within that (laughs) that overlap. Um, But I I find that a rye whiskey for me makes the best kind of old fashioned. Um, I I love a rye whiskey old fashioned. I, 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 I do find that I enjoy rye better as a cocktail than I do straight. Whereas, you know, a, a traditional bourbon, uh, I am, I'm, I'm generally, you know, we'll just drink straight. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Agreed. But, okay, well, I'm going in. Okay, okay, we're going in. Oh, that's not bad. No, that's actually, um, that's not I, as hot as I thought it was going to be. No, it's actually got a little bit of sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. More than I expected yeah. from a rye. Yeah, it's got a, a lot more, uh, sweet in the back than, uh, than I would have expected. Those Romulans. And, you know, uh, typically a rye will have, and this doesn't sound like a delicious thing that I'm describing, mm-hmm. but uh, there will be almost a medicinal quality uh-huh. to it. And I'm not picking up a lot of that here. A little bit, but not a lot. It's, it's yeah. definitely, um, for me, smoother yeah, definitely. Than, than your I, average rye. Um, yeah, I mean, because some ryes are just super wild, mm-hmm. you know, and would just light you up. And this this one, not so much. Yeah. This, it's a lot more even. um I I gotta tell you, Paul, I'm 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 I really didn't expect this to be very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe as far as rye whiskeys are concerned, it's not. But I certainly enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I'll drink this bottle. I mean, yeah, right now? this is. Uh, <laughs> it, I am I'm I am uh, pleasantly surprised at how uh, drinkable this is. I you know, I blue color. Sorry, I, I I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, the blue color is. I love it. Um, yeah. You know, for, for people who are just looking for something a little different in their bar or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, in theory, from if you're making an old-fashioned with this, you throw a little bitters in it, mm-hmm. uh, a little simple syrup, you stir it, you have a blue old-fashioned. And, you yeah. know, that, that's a, a fun conversation piece, even if you're not a Star Trek fan, I think. So, you know, I imagine that they – they did not age this in like you know an oak barrel or or yeah. a wood barrel of any kind because that's going to bring in the brown you know those 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 amber tones. Yeah, I've got to imagine and it's probably not aged at all. That's my guess is that it went straight from what came out of the still 
because otherwise I don't think you'd get this clear of a color. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would be so so because it's a it's a bright blue. It's transparent. Uh, you know, it's very attractive in the glass. Mm-hmm. Um, and to your point, yeah, it's going to look interesting on your bar. It looks interesting in the glass. And typically, when I see something like this, I assume that's going to be sweet, like a blue blue curico, right? Yeah. Um, but this is, uh, I, I got to tell you, you know, for those of you who enjoy whiskey, and I'm not talking about somebody who enjoys, uh, you know, sweet whiskey cocktails, but if if you enjoy drinking a whiskey and you drink it neat or with ice and that's it, I think this is a good drink. I also could very well see this with uh, uh, soda water, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, a fizzy water. Um, I, I think that would be good. I think that, you know, throw a, 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 a seltzer or something in there. And an ice cube or two, yeah, and that could be really refreshing. I think that would that would be great. I mean, I've, I've got to tell you, I, I actually really rather enjoy this. Yeah. So if you go to StarTrekSpirits.com, they actually have a um, a link where you can uh, enter your email address, and they will send you a recipe and instructions on how to make a drink called the Quantum Singularity Cocktail. Mm. Um, that features this Romulan ale uh, or Romulan, yeah, Romulan rye vodka. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. It, it, it's for the Romulan vodka cocktail. Ah, sorry. So it's not for the rye. It looks fun, you know. Um, also on the website. So like we mentioned, uh, there's a Romulan ale vodka and a Romulan ale rye whiskey. And so the um, the Romulan rye, just a little bit more information for those of you who care about that kind of stuff, is it's a mash bill of 95% rye and 5% malted barley. Uh, giving it a sweetness and flavor complexity after aging in newly charred white oak barrels. It has been aged, but wow. only for two years. So obviously it can't be considered a bourbon because bourbon has I, to be three years. I wonder how they filter out the coloring. Um, let's see. Uh, after aging for two years uh, across from the Ohio River from Kentucky, it was ready for bottling. But we took it a step further with a second distilling process post-aging ah, uh, that creates that out. smooth finish. Um, yeah. And they also did a vacuum distillation process for lower temperatures, uh, enhancing both flavor and aromatics. Yeah. Well, that explains that then. Mm-hmm. That, that second distilling, I would imagine, would take out uh, the, the coloration that you see because you don't typically do that in a whiskey. Um, I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's very tasty. Um, yeah. I like it. Um, you know, I am a big fan, and I've talked about it before, and you know, so is Paul. Uh, I'm a big fan of the uh, – uh, James T. Kirk bourbon, oh, yeah. and you, I that. you can't you can't get that anymore. Um, I, I I thought it was a really nice you know expression uh, and very tasty, highly drinkable. It's the reason why I've gone through two bottles of it. Uh, would buy another bottle if I could get my hands on one. Um, and it was affordable. I, heard, I will say, I believe it was. it was like sixty bucks. Whereas this Romulan Rye whiskey is an eighty-five dollar. Yeah, uh, spirit, and that's on sale. Yeah. I think it's normally ninety-five plus shipping. Yeah. So yeah, it is you and I both cheap. got it on a sale. Mm-hmm. I, but you know, and I think that's probably got a lot to do with the fact of just you know supply chain crap these days. Yeah. Everything's more expensive. I mean, God, I paid seven dollars for you know a, a eighteen eggs the other day. I mean, just like the hell. <laughs> um, but I, I got to say, I heard people say, I heard some people say that uh, uh, they did not care for the James T. Kirk bourbon. And I just, I, you know, I'm like, hi, I don't know what your problem is, because, you know, I consider myself a whiskey connoisseur. And I thought that bourbon was really tasty. Yeah. I, I, and I don't know if maybe I mean, there was some, some, you know, inconsistency in the bottling or something. And maybe somebody just got, you know, uh, a... a, a bottle that just wasn't very good but man i have enjoyed the hell out of both of the bottles i've drank yeah same here and you know we didn't i don't think we talked about it on the podcast but um you know you can also go to star trek wines.com and waiting for me i actually have a uh, chateau picard three pack for when picard comes back on um, oh nice. it contains three vintages of the Chateau Picard. Um, I don't recall the years. <laughs> like it matters. I mean, they're fake years. One's like the 20, <laughs> one's I think the 2221, one's the 2401. And there's a third bottle that I can't quite tell what the year is um, from the website, but it, it's, you know, they're fun. And I actually, you know, I had previously ordered, I'm sorry, it's a 2386, a 2221, and a 2401. It's a three pack that they sell on StarTrekWines.com. Very nice bottles, especially the 2401 is the silver edition, has like a silver-plated um, label. And, uh, I mean, I like the Chateau Picard that I previously had, so that's why I went ahead and, yeah. and got some more. It's great. It's, it's, it's great. fun-themed stuff that if you're already a wine drinker or a whiskey drinker, you know, th- this this kind yeah. of 
your interests are aligning. Exactly. That Venn diagram. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, and I mean, I I think you, you put your finger on it. It's just fun. I mean, I love how fun this bottle is. I love that it's, that it's blue. I like that. It's an actual whiskey Yeah. uh, and that it's drinkable. You know, this is, it's fun. I like how, you know, I, I'm drinking it in my Star Trek glass. I've got a Star Trek, uh, 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 scotch glass and, you know, it's, it's you know it's just I like how that comes together. It's got a nice uh, uh, 1701 you know NCC 1701 Enterprise on it, and uh, you know it's good stuff. I you know Paul, I miss the Federation of Beer. Yes. Um, you know they they produce beer inconsistently, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't have a big footprint in terms of their their distribution. Uh, it's hard getting it here in DFW when uh, they do produce. But boy, I have really enjoyed, and again, it's just because, you know, aligning interests. I like beer. I like Star Trek. Uh, it's cool to, you know, have both of those things, and I've been through two cases of the Federation of Beer stuff, um, and I, I, I would welcome another expression uh, fr- from them. You know, uh, like uh, Schmaltz Brewery is one of the participating mm-hmm. breweries, and, and they haven't produced anything in a while, as far as I've seen. Yeah, and but, since since pre-pandemic, really, as far as I right. remember. Right. You know, um, the intersection, and, and maybe it's because I don't know, it feels like there's a great intersection, at least in the circles that we run with. But it, it feels like the alcohol market is an untapped market for officially licensed spirits right, right? right. um you know we, we've certainly got the star trek wine the star trek um you know this this iteration of star trek whiskey um but you know there are especially in the science fiction realm it seems like many science fiction shows have some semblance of of beverage alcoholic beverage that you would think people would take advantage of you know right um people really love that stuff when you go to star trek or excuse me when you go to uh, star wars land in one of the disney parks you know they have um, spirits there, and it's all part of the experience. But you can't get that shipped to your house. You have to go to right. the land to yeah. experience them. Um, but I, 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 I like this kind of stuff. I feel yeah. it appeals to the adult collector anyway. So it, it would be interesting to see if if more shows embrace this. Um, not that there's any Star Trek or any science fiction type show that has um, the longevity of Star Trek. Right. But maybe when you know something were to become popular. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's an opportunity for licensing, I guess is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is fun. I like it. Yeah. And I will continue sipping mine while we talk more about Star Trek. Yeah. Well, you know, we had mentioned, uh, you know, you, you, your rewatch of Deep Space Nine is well-timed because mm-hmm. we have not spoken since um, IDW has relaunched. I, I don't want to say relaunched because you know, they, they certainly have a number of products that were, that are continuing to exist um, but they, they've kind of done this relaunch uh, of certain titles. They have in, in just a straight-up Star Trek title. Star Trek no colon. Star, Star Trek no colon. <laughs> the adjectiveless Star Trek um, right. book that, that has relaunched. And coming up very soon, they will have a Star Trek Defiance book um, that I believe is a spinoff of this book. Kind of, right. you know, um, almost a, a shared universe of Star Trek titles set prior to post-Next Generation and Deep Space Nine prior to Star Trek Nemesis time right which I will tell you um, you know we're about to talk about the start the adjectiveless Star Trek book um, confused me for a second time frame wise because I did not you know because one of the main characters in this Star Trek book is data and I'm like but data died right but this is this is pre nemesis this is basically data's last uh, last hurrah I guess right. before nemesis yeah before returning to the e yes. There are three Star Trek books out right now uh, mm-hmm. in, in regular production, and you know there's the Star Trek No Colon, and then there is the Strange New Worlds comic, uh, and then the you know which is uh, taking place after season one before season two, and then there is Star Trek Resurgence, which is a prequel book to the upcoming video game, and I got to tell you of these three. Star Trek Resurgence is my favorite. It, it, I, oh, really? I am, I'm stunned at how much I'm enjoying this comic. Uh, you know, and I, I have no plans on, on playing the new Star Trek game that's coming out. But the uh, book Resurgence is about a, 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 Star, a Starfleet starship that has to go and rescue Leah Brahms. You know, if you'll recall, Leah Brahms was the uh, one of the main engineers or lead engineers for the engines on the um, Enterprise-D. 
that Jordy fell in love with in the holodeck, mm-hmm. if you remember her. Uh, she gets captured by some aliens that we had met in uh, uh, the next generation, and you know they're warlike and whatnot. And you know it's just you know there's a lot of table turning in the story. And I think one of the things I like about it is you know you don't know all the characters. You know there's there is a character who shows up who you know we met in an episode of Enterprise or sorry of, of uh, Next Generation. You got Leah Brahms, and then that's about it. Everybody else is is brand new working in that space, and so you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what people are going to do, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I'm just gobbling the book up. Uh, there's also, you know, S- S- Strange New Worlds is good, but, you know, I'm always worried when they're, t- when they're telling a story inside of a current television show. And so I'm like, well, how much is this really going to play in? What kind of coordination is there? Um, so I get worried about that kind of thing. But it's it's good, and I certainly love the artwork. The artwork in this book is terrific, um, and it, it's also you know fun and uh, uh, exciting. It's but it directly ties into number one having been arrested and taken off the ship. Mm, okay. And so you, because it's playing so closely into that story, I'm like, I just don't know how comfortable I am with, uh, you know, how this is going to tie into, you know, season two. But I got to say, Kristen Beyer is writing this book along with Mike Johnson. And so I'm like, you know, Kristen Beyer is closely involved in Strange New Worlds and the Star Trek franchise there at Paramount Plus. So, you know... I, I guess maybe I should stop worrying and just lean into the book. <laughs> but the but the book we're going to talk to you about in detail today is Star Trek No Colon, <laughs> in which uh, <laughs> Captain Sisko returns. You know, if you'll recall, at the end of season seven of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, uh, Captain Sisko, you know, went off to live with the wormhole aliens after he had you know fallen into the fire caves with Gold Dukat. And, you know, Goldicott being cast off to live in his fire, pra- fire cave prison with the Paw Wraiths. Meanwhile, you know, Captain Sisko has to heal up and learn new things uh, with the uh, wormhole aliens or the Bajoran prophets. And in this book, he returns and it's, what, six months after, I think they said? Three years. Three years. I'm sorry. I don't know where I got six months from. Yeah. Well, I, and, you know, to, to your point about six months and, and you know, and the fact that it's actually three years I feel like both, whether it's six months or three years, I feel like the time is not long enough to have. I, I feel like um, so it's you know it. What I'm trying to say here is the sacrifice that Cisco makes at the end of D Space Nine, or you know the you know the, the the emotional weight of that, I feel is lessened by this book saying it's only three years. Well, and I I gotta tell you, I had a real problem with the first issue, um, and it's that. Cassidy Yates, his wife, mother of his uh, new child, yeah. is you know out in space because she is a merchant trader captain, right? And she's on her way back to Deep Space Nine when she finds out that you know, Cisco is back. But he gets a new mission and takes off for that mission. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I I just feel like if he doesn't hang around. <laughs> you know, to see his wife because he hasn't seen her in however long. Um, doesn't that kind of make him an asshole? Yeah. You know, despite the fact that he's got a mission from the prophets, doesn't doesn't he need to say, unless he's being mind controlled, doesn't he need to say, hey, you've taken enough of my life. I need to see my wife and newborn child, uh, you know, a child I have yet to meet. I don't understand that. You would think so, right? And that, yeah, I, because, I, I struggled with that. I, honestly, I struggled with Cisco's character with Cisco's characterization a lot in this book, regardless. Uh huh. Yeah, I would agree. Well, he, they've got him kind of spacey. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't seem like Ben Cisco, and I get it. He's going to have gone through changes. Yeah. You know, um, but I don't understand why anybody has trusted him with a command. You know, at this point, you know, it's so fast from him returning from his, you know, astral exile. Um, it seems to me like any reasonable person would have said, you know what? I appreciate the importance and the stakes here, but, you know, you can't lead this. You can be an advisor. <laughs> 
on a mission. He should not be the captain no. of that. Much less immediately after three years. Right. 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 Three years. And you know, I would I would feel a lot more comfortable in this story. You know, he takes Jake with him, you know, his son Jake. And you know, Jake and Cisco have always had this terrific relationship and uh that makes sense to me, right? Why couldn't they have met uh Cassidy's ship en route and brought Cassidy and the kid along with them. Yeah. I mean, if it's safe enough for Jake to go, why wouldn't it be safe enough for Cassidy and, and newborn child to go? I, I just, I feel like that's a missing piece here. Um, you know, his attachment to his wife, his, you know, his desire. He is a family man. Unless the, the, the wormhole aliens have burned that out of him. He is a family man. He is family first. He is all about Ben. He was all about his deceased wife. He is all about Cassidy Yates. I would assume he'd be all about this child that he hasn't met, but even the idea of the child. Um, I, I, I find that a real problem with this character. But the book does some things that I think are, are, are really well done. Like, of all the original series characters, uh, one of the ones that we have never seen a death of, you know, we've never heard, oh yeah, this character died, uh, is uh, uh, Scotty, right? Yeah. And, you know, we saw <laughs> I, Scotty. I was very surprised to see Scotty. Yeah, well, and, you know, we saw Scotty in uh, uh, that Next Generation episode with the Dyson Sphere. Yeah. And, you know, it was a lot, that episode was a lot of fun. And I'm like, you know, this makes absolute sense that you, we'd see Scotty show up in, in this book, uh, or a book, you know, because, you know, there, why not? It's a comic book. You know, the fact that, that, uh, Jimmy Dewan has long since deceased doesn't stop us from using the Scotty character here. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that's great. I, I enjoy seeing him here. And I also enjoy seeing that, you know, he just wanders around in his Wrath of Khan uh, engineering radiation suit all the time. <laughs> I just, I get a real kick out of, he just, in the in the radiation suit, I am certain there's a diaper in there. <laughs> yeah. That's just, that's just what, what he walks around in these days. And he's the, appears to be the only engineer on the ship um you know they've got a really small crew in this special ship uh that they have you know kitted them out with um and it's a it's a highly specialized crew you know you've got uh uh dr crusher is the medical officer you've got tom paris who's the uh helmsman and navigator uh you've got data who is the xo uh, who am I missing there? Anybody else? Worf has now joined the ship. Oh, yes. But, That's right. you Worf. know, it, it's this super team of, of crew from all the, the various, um, you know, titles. And, you know, and, and you know, obviously, they, like I mentioned, the timing of three years post Deep Space Nine prior to the events mm-hmm. of Nemesis. You know, so Tom Paris is there, you know, after, I guess, Voyager's return home. Um, you know, so I, obviously the research has been done. It still feels to me like... You know, I don't want to be negative on this book. I, I will say I think I enjoy the concept of this book more than I enjoy the execution of the book. Um, I, I feel like a lot of those characters that they pull in, especially Tom Paris, are completely wasted. Oh, yeah. And the art is not helping the situation, I find. Yeah. Um, you don't like the artwork? I don't care for the artwork. I, I actually like the artwork. You know, important for me in any Star Trek book is your ability to draw a Star Trek ship. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, the illustration of the technology is artfully done. I actually enjoy the way the characters are drawn, with the exception that I hate, hate, hate the uniforms. Uh, the uniforms look like tracksuits. Uh, you know, they don't look like they fit anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, are they in their pajamas? I, I just, you know, did we wake them all up? Because none of these look right to me. And that, and and again, maybe that's where I was going with it. The human element um, yeah. I, I, mean, I, I the, struggle the, with. I feel like the faces and everything are just fine. Uh, I, I feel like the, the artist is talented. I feel like the design of the uniforms is way off because they generated new uniforms for the, for this crew. And uh, boy, I just, I hate them. I mean, nobody looks right in these no. uniforms. And, and I appreciate, you know, a lot of times comic book artists will fall into a superhero mode when they're illustrating Star Trek characters and they shouldn't be just muscle bound tearing from their, their uniforms. They should look like they're wearing clothes. 
clothes, right? They shouldn't be skin tight. But these, again, they're just baggy and unkept, and they don't look like any other uniform that we've ever seen in Star Trek. And I'm fine with different. Different's great, but they should at least look like the clothes fit. And I mean, they, they legit look like they're just rumpled. They've slept in them. In fact, I'm, the, the Andorian character, who I guess is the Helms person, uh, she, she is, uh, I mean, her, hers just looks, looks like she borrowed her bo- boyfriend's uh, tunic, you know. I'm just going to wear my boyfriend's uh, uniform to work today. It's bigger. I just, it looks terrible. The only person who, who's wearing clothes that fit him is Scotty, and that's because he's walking around in his radiation <laughs> exactly. suit. Exactly. His, his yeah. 200-year-old radiation suit. Yeah. But, you know, I I, I like the story. I kind of hate what how Ben Sisko is portrayed. I hate how Ben Sisko uh, is portrayed. I don't love that some of the, you know, that you have this super crew and, and most of the characters, and maybe, you know, honestly, this is probably indicative of most Star Trek, right? That they, they find the the main characters to focus on. Um, and, you know, it becomes the Kirk and Spock show or, right. you know, in, in the case of, um, you know, Star Trek, strange new worlds, it's, it's certainly Anson Mount, more so than any other character. And I feel like there, there's a strong focus on Cisco, Data, and Worf in this series. Um, you know, I, I it's it's I will say the book is underwhelming. It's not bad. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I appreciate seeing some of these characters again. Um, I feel like Worf is probably one of the strongest characters in the book. And, mm-hmm. and perhaps that's just the, 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 you know, the tale that it's telling is very Klingon-based. And maybe that's why... Um, you know, I, I'm so drawn to the characterization of Worf, where he is in his life at this point, you know, that kind of thing that, that interests me the most. Um, well, and Worf is one of my favorite characters, and I'm eager to see his spinoff book, uh, Star Trek Defiance. It's going to spin off from this from apparently some conflict that he and Cisco have. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm eager to see that. Um, I, I will tell you what I think works in the book is the Klingon part of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, that uh, that uh, uh, Kalis, you know, remember that Kalis got cloned in Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he is out hunting the uh, the celestial super beings, otherwise known as gods across the universe, and just killing them. Because fuck those guys. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Because you know that's what that's what uh, the Klingons did to their gods. You know they killed them. Yeah. And so he's like, you know, well, you know, we killed those. We're going to kill the rest of them. Stand by. We're going to kill your gods. You know, I, I I think it's kind of a cool story. I think it's an, an interesting thing. And I and I love you know there's a terrific illustration of Kalos on the bridge of his bird of prey. And I just, I feel like the artist just nailed it. You know, it just it looks appropriately Klingon. It looks regal. It looks dangerous. I'm excited. I like that part of it. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think I'm I'm still in. I just I'm I'm not. I don't enjoy this book nearly as much as I enjoy uh, Star Trek Resurgence, and I highly recommend Resurgence. I am in. I feel like um, for me, I I'm in for this first storyline. I really need mm-hmm. to see Cisco in you know as we get to the end of this first storyline and into the second storyline not so much uh you know stoned cisco or whatever we're dealing with right now right sleepy Sleepy cisco Cisco. um (laughs) you know i I really need to see cisco come into um his character uh, a bit more as we get into the second arc uh for 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 me to to stick beyond this first arc and you know because and and perhaps honestly my expectations were too high um you know, they mentioned the well, cast of this book, the theme of this book, and I'm like, finally, a Star Trek book that I can go into with with the knowledge that I have of Star Trek. I am certainly not as well read in the expanded universe stuff as you are, so you know, I can go into the Star Trek book really just knowing the TV shows, right? And that's all I needed to know, um, and and that's something that that really intrigued me. Um, it's not the the home run that I was hoping for. Yeah. Well, and I went into it with with high hopes because the previous series was so freaking good. You know, the Star Trek Year Five, mm-hmm. uh, you know, documenting the the uh, final year of the original five year mission uh, was terrific. And so I expected this book to be terrific as well, particularly because it was telling it was telling stories with characters that I enjoy so much. And you know, to your point, I feel like Tom Paris is wasted here. I don't see a reason. For for Tom Paris to be in this book. Yeah. And perhaps it's just not I the storyline that features him, right? 
Well, and you know, maybe because it's got such a Klingon facing story, the fact that he's married to a Klingon woman and has, you know, a Klingon daughter, maybe that plays into it. I don't know. Uh, but to date, I don't know why he's here. Uh, and to that point, I don't know why Dr. Crusher's here either. Um, it feels like too many characters from, you know, other ships mm-hmm. that we know. Um, and particularly since they're going to do a similar, uh, uh, shuffle in Defiance. I mean, it just seems a little much. Um, you know, and I, and I don't feel like data is being used to great effect. You know, he, he, you know, Data does a whole bunch of warning the captain about things. And I'm like, come on, you know, Data, at this point in his life, Data was really down the road in terms of his development. I really want to see more uh, about that character. Yeah, so. agree. Yeah, um, and, and the way they're using Dr. Crusher <coughs> is basically the ship psychologist. Mm-hmm. Seems odd, right? It's it's an odd choice. I mean, I, you know, again, I think they're just trying to, they are trying to pull in an audience that is interested, especially because Crusher will be featured in this new season of Picard. I think they're just trying to, to lure in these these yeah. these fans, these wayward fans that have maybe dropped the comic titles. Um, yeah. But, I, you know, I do think that a certain element of new character should have been introduced instead of only relying yeah. on, on, you know, like how many we need three characters from Next Generation on this on exactly. this one ship like. And that that was my feeling as well. And yet, I mean, yeah, you've got Jake there from Deep Space Nine, but it seems like maybe somebody else from Deep Space Nine could have come along. Yeah. You know, but anyway, I, you know, I'm still in. I'm conflicted about the book, yeah. but, you know, I think you can tell we're conflicted. Uh, I mean, yeah, and I think yeah. I, I would say my issues with it are, are bigger than nitpicks. But I, yeah. you know, I will absolutely continue through the first arc. And again, the first probably the uh, first yeah. issue of the second arc. Yeah. Now I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. But but Paul, yes, Star Trek Picard season three episode one premieres this Thursday, it, February sixteenth. It does, it does, and uh, I believe the first episode is called. I think it's called the Next Generation. Well, I you know it reunites all of our favorite people uh, from uh, Next Generation. I, I'm it, it's the reunion show we had been hoping for in season one of Star Trek Picard. But, you know, we got ourselves some uh, Riker and Troy, mm-hmm. and uh, it'll be nice to see them here again and with all their friends. I'm particularly interested in seeing Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy LeVar Burton, and uh, I, I think that's going to be fun. Um, less excited about uh, how Brent Spiner will appear in the show. <laughs> Because, you know, for a guy who didn't want to play Data anymore, uh, <laughs> he's, he sure has found a way to stay in Star Trek. Kill me off, but let me come back a couple yeah, times. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, uh, I, I'm excited about it. I, and I am particularly excited that, you know, it looks like Dr. Crusher is going to have something interesting to yeah. do. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so. I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, right? I'm much much like this comic book. I'm going in with high hopes, but I'm, I'm concerned <laughs> because, you know, obviously um, it's still the creative team of the prior two seasons, which I, I, well, I, I really didn't care for. Right. Ter- Terry Metalis is show running mm-hmm. and he has taken over. Uh, a lot of the leadership and season three is apparently wholly his. Okay. Um, so, and I gotta say, there are some folks in the business whose opinions I trust about Star Trek that w- our, our, uh, tastes run pretty similar and they have, have, uh, spoken quite highly of, uh, season three. They've already seen it. And, you know, that, which makes me intensely jealous that, you know, people have seen this so much earlier than I have. Yeah. I, I know the first six episodes have been released to, uh, the press. Six episodes right. in. They are six episodes yeah. ahead of us. Yeah, that's crazy. Bastards. That's crazy. I don't care for that. But I, you know, I'm excited. I'm also excited that there's a lot of talk that there will probably be, you know, a 25th century Star Trek on the heels of this. Mm. That we will, that there, you know, they will be picking up from uh, Picard and telling some other story with some of these characters. You know, you know that they have explicitly stated that Captain Janeway will not show up in Star Trek Picard, but that you know we can expect to see other um, faces from other Star Trek shows. So I'm excited about that too. I, you know, I I feel like you know there are a lot of these guys who are still working mm-hmm. 
you know, and we should get as much time with them as we can, you know, for those that are interested in doing yeah, it. Exactly. You know, like, you know, I don't need to see a Bellana Torres show because that she was a character who never worked for me in Voyager. Um, but I would love, you know, just like I'm, I'm enjoying seeing uh, uh, Jerry Ryan as seven uh i would you know love to see you know let's see what tom paris is doing these days let's see what uh, uh the doctor is doing mm-hmm. i'd love to see that yeah. you know i there's no reason you can't do that and same with deep space nine you know give me some nana visitor you know give me some armin shimmerman he's still working <laughs> you know i i that, that you know uh uh, Alexander Sadig, I keep wanting to call him Sadig El Fadil, but you know he doesn't go by that anymore. But uh, you know Alexander Sadig, who you know he's been in so much stuff. I would love to see him come back and play a little, you know, older, wiser Julian Bashir. I, I mean that dude is, and he's all over the place. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He is. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean the, these guys who are still working, we should grab them up and do something with them. You know, let's bring them back to Star Trek. Let's do something fun. You know, and you know, tell good stories. I'm not just saying let's have the reunion show, but let's tell good stories with these guys. Hey, I'm. I we will see what comes after Star Trek Picard yeah. starts. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I, you know, I, I have uh, stayed away from a lot of the press on Star Trek Picard because I like to be surprised. Um, you know, so I haven't picked apart the trailer, for instance. Like, I've watched the trailer, the new extended trailer that, that came out last week. Uh, I, but I'm not, I'm, I don't dwell on it. Like, you know, I, I unfortunately, I know that uh, lore features prominently in uh, uh, season three. So, you know, my thing is, is every time we, we get into a, a, so, Sung Android. Uh, we ignore some things of what, what's gone before, and continuity matters to mm-hmm. me. I know that there are those people that continuity doesn't matter to, particularly writers. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you're going to play in the Star Trek sandbox, understand the toys you're playing with. And uh, so that that's, that is that is really what has me concerned about, you know, the return of lore, because folks like to ignore things uh, that have previously been established about those characters. So we'll see. Well, maybe that when the Neelix show starts up, uh, we, we can talk about that. See, fortunately, he's still back in the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> There's no reason to have Neelix. But Neelix show. in the Delta Quadrant. That's the name of the show. The Adventures <laughs> of Neelix. Star Trek colon Neelix in the Neelix Delta in the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> Sign me up. Uh, yeah. Well, we will be back on the mics to talk about Star Trek Picard throughout the season. So make sure you are yeah. subscribed to the feed um, on your favorite podcast provider. Yeah, blow blow off the dust from that RSS. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, we want to know what you thought about uh, this week's episode, the the Star Trek comics that you're reading, the Star Trek liquor you're drinking, and the Star Trek TV shows you're watching. Give us a call as I look up the phone number to our new hotline. It is 682-800-3494. That number, once again, 682-800-3494. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you can win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. You can also hit us up on social media, IOMGeek, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You know, I wisely put our phone number in the closing bumper uh, to to uh, our Star Trek podcast. Oh, it was wise at the time. And yeah, wise at the time. And now I'm like, fuck, I gotta edit that <laughs> before before I release this. Yeah, so lovely. Okay, well, hey, well, I can't wait to watch Star Trek Picard, and even more, can't wait to talk about it with you, Paul. Uh, we will do that uh, at the end of the week. Very exciting. Yes. We'll see you then. Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 682-800-3494. Tribble wrangling provided by Triskelion Trays. No troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers, conveniently located on the promenade.